Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. It's bracket season, and you can pre-register now for Fox Sports Radio's Bracket Challenge at foxsportsradio.com. Get details, rules, and pre-register so you can easily create your winning bracket when it's live on March 17th. Once you fill out your bracket, you're entered for a chance to win the ultimate college sports trip for you and a friend, including travel and stays at any Graduate Hotels location. It's sponsored by Tractor Supply and Graduate Hotels, where college fans stay. Hey, what up? Welcome in. I'm Doug Gottlieb. This is All Ball. And uh, in, in this episode of All Ball, we'll catch up part two with Rashid Hazard, who, of course, is coaching with the Johannesburg Tigers in the Basketball Africa League. That's the B-A-L. If you have missed part one, it should be in your queue. It's great. Tells a lot of the backstory, what it was like growing up, the son of a legend in the late, great uh, Walt Hazard. Um, before we get to part two, Let's just do a little uh, post-mortem for the Warriors season and for Warriors-Lakers, which lasted six games. Um, I generally agree with Steve Kerr in regards to the better team winning. Uh, That being said, two of their losses were very winnable games, game one and game four. Uh, Game four, they had a lead, and I thought in many ways – Kerr, I don't think he necessarily got out coached, but they were in position to kind of put the Lakers away. But as so often is the case in the NBA, you know, down 11, then uh, they were down double digits at the end of the second quarter after having a big lead. What what happened there uh, was that was game three, right? Game three, they had a big lead and turnovers and arguing with the refs ended up derailing them. Game four, Again, had the lead late, couldn't get a stop, and um, and the Lakers end up, you know, Lonnie Walker kind of saves the day. It's interesting. Like, we'll look back, and because game six was such a blowout, we'll look back and say, and Steve Kerr saying they're the better team, and we'll say, man, they were better the whole time. When the truth is that the proximity of the two teams was not, not that great. It really, really was not. So in regards to the Warriors, it's interesting. You know, there's a lot of talk of bringing back the big three, and suddenly now that doesn't include Andrew Wiggins, which is weird because he played so well in the playoffs last year. Obviously, he had a rib injury, but he showed some of his limitations this year. And he had his own personal issues, which took him away from the team. And I don't think they'll ever say it, but you miss the entire second half of the season. So they, you know, they almost fall out of the playoffs, almost fall into the playing game. I, I can't think that the Warriors are super happy about how all that went. And you could say, hey, look, it's a personal matter. Whatever happened, is, is that's great. But try that with your job. Try that with any job. You know, they, they all require your presence to require your attention. And they may say, hey, take all the time you need. They don't really mean it. Nobody really means that. You know, what they mean is take the least possible time you need, get back and get back mentally with the energy that you would have if you took all the time you need. That's really the translation. So Wiggins is in a peculiar spot. Obviously, Jordan Poole, who lost his confidence, it, it 
he must have been feeling himself. And that's got to be why, you know, Draymond punched him. And the reaction to it from the teammates was just odd, right? Um, that put a cloud over the entire team. So what do you do moving forward if you're, if you're Golden State? I mean, you're not parting ways with Steph Curry. I don't think you're re-upping Klay Thompson. He's got more time on his contract. He may be expecting a, you know, an, another max contract, but look, dude, he didn't play well. He didn't shoot well. He didn't play well in the series. What do you want me to do? I can't give you a contract in the future based upon past performance. And then Draymond Green's an interesting one. There were times when he played very well offensively. There were times in which he didn't. I thought in game six, he really hurt them by getting into foul trouble, getting that, that, that technical foul. Um, he just has to control his emotions. They're a much better team with him on the floor versus him not on the floor. And, and, and here's something I find interesting. Obviously, the Wiseman pick didn't work out. Some of that is um, he wasn't as good as advertised. He didn't evolve. He didn't improve. Some of it was his knee injury. But there's at least a, uh, there's at least a similarity there between the, Laker, between the Celtics in the 80s and early 90s and these Warriors. Remember, the Celtics, their plan for kind of rejuvenating the roster was Len Bias. He, of course, died the day after the draft. Then they had Reggie Lewis, who, of course, died of a heart issue. Like, those were two of their young, they were going to be stars, re-energize Celtics. And, of course, they went through, I don't know what it was, 15, 20 years. What it felt like it was probably more 10 years of, of kind of wandering in the desert looking for their next star. Um, the Warriors, you know, Jonathan Kaminga didn't hardly play in the playoffs. So if, if they were invested in him, he would have played. He only played in, in mop-up time. Um, Wiseman, Kaminga, for the most part, looked like they were misses. And I understand, I think everybody understands that this is not a, a 100% deal, but Kaminga, both of them, they really needed. They needed Wiseman to be a start. They needed a starting center who is an athlete. That was the whole plan, right? They could have had LaMelo Ball. They were worried about LaMelo Ball. And in, in truth, you know, I, I even advised them at the time, like, man, I don't know about LaMelo around your guys. And I think LaMelo would have been incredible. I mean, incredible. Um, but the thought was that they needed a quality athletic big to be a starting center. And they've done a great deal with what they've had. But, and then with, with Wiseman, I think the thinking has been, hey, you know, he can be that hybrid, versatile big guy who can guard a LeBron, guard a Durant, that can handle the ball, that can shoot, that can do a little bit of everything. Hasn't been good enough. So the downfall of this team is not necessarily the stars. It's been the guys who are supposed to replace some of the stars. And I think that's fascinating. As for the Lakers, look, man, I'll be honest with you. I'm stunned. You know, when they lost to the Clippers late in the season, I just thought, it's a good team, but not a, not a great team. You know, LeBron at times shows his age, especially the defensive end. He can be kind of three-point dependent. He gets tired, so he'll just shoot threes. And, you know, you're depending on Anthony Davis, who's great, but you're holding your breath that he's not going to get hurt. And then everything else are good pieces, but uh, what, what I think we should say that Darvin Ham is actually best at is he's unconventional in regards to the NBA. Most teams, most teams have the rotation and maybe they rotate one guy in or one guy out of the rotation during the playoffs. 
where you just look at the Lonnie Walker game in game four. Lonnie Walker came in. He, you know, he had shown him something in the blowout of, I think it was game two. Got an opportunity in game four, played well, and he didn't take him out. Most times in the NBA, they go back to their traditional rotation. I thought Darvin Ham's feel as a head coach was elite. And then LeBron just physically dominant over the Warriors in the third quarter when, when it was in question. Uh, but we should also point out, Clay Thompson makes shots that on championship years he's made. He just has. Jordan Poole made a couple plays late in the second half but didn't make shots. And while Steph is great, um, I do think that making him into a point guard, which is how they end up having to play him, I think that that and attacking him constantly in the defensive end wore him down. And he wasn't able to be him. He wasn't able to just move freely without the ball and catch and shoot threes. And he didn't shoot as well as he normally should have, even though he playmade way better than he normally does. So I think there's a a good amount of credit that, that goes to the Lakers for taking the Warriors out of what they do best. I think there's some reasonable criticism of the Warriors in the sloppy turnovers ultimately came back and bit them, especially especially in game four. The Lakers somehow became the better team and their coach coached with great feel. And what happens to the Warriors? I don't know. It's a fascinating thing. You know, I don't know how much I would pay for Draymond Green. I don't know if they'll be in search of a new general manager. It's a lot I don't know. And last year, you just signed away because you said, hey, we won a championship. We may not love this guy or adore this guy, but we won a championship, so why would we screw it up? Now you haven't won a championship. You lost in six games. You get blown out in the final game. You get blown out in two of these games. You start to think to yourself, and, and Steve Kerr says we're not a championship team. You start to think to yourself, okay, maybe we re- re- need to rework things, but is Bob Myers not around to rework it? The, the whole thing is fascinating. Where does Clay go if he doesn't get the contract and he doesn't want to play in the last year of a deal? Where does Draymond go? Does he want to play for the Lakers? Do the Lakers want him or need him? Because remember, if the Lakers have him, well, now all of a sudden that means LeBron James has to play a wing, has to play a guard. And that's not necessarily what it does. Uh, now, now he's playing like a point forward type. And they're playing with one big and that being Anthony Davis. That changes dramatically. Plus, Draymond's offense has sunk over the years. It's not going to get better. It's probably going to get worse. And you have to factor all that in. Lastly, um, I think the Nuggets are awesome. They're probably the best team still playing. But of course, I'm going to pick the Lakers. I just, you know, sorry. Until I see Aaron Gordon is going to have to match up with LeBron James. And a lot of the switches will be, they can't switch and be screwed up. Much like, you know, like I love Jamal Murray, but he's going to switch on to LeBron James. Like that one seems hard, uh, hard to see. Um, and they just have so many pieces that haven't done it before. I'm going to go with the guys that have done it before. I think the Lakers win probably in six games. I think the series is very similar to the Golden State one, where they got to win. They'll win one of those first two, maybe even game one in in Denver, um, and they'll win their home games. I, I just I think it's actually a really good complimentary roster around Anthony Davis and then LeBron James sacrificing his ego and make plays. All right, let's get you to Rashid Hazard, part two. Do you remember going on the road and watching 
a coach or a team and go and even though it was not somebody you're working for, but you just you were drawn to them. I like the way they play. I like the way they they operate just in because that's one of the things that's missing when you it's it, it's the same across the board, whether it's use of analytics, use of synergy, um, even in college when you're recruiting out of the portal. And again, you're watching synergy, watch, you miss the, the human element to it. Right. Because part of being there is you're watching the interaction of the coaches when they take a dude out of the game. Right. You're watching what they're doing when they're on the bench. There's all kinds of different things kind of going on. Was there a guy or a team or a program that you remember watching or like, like, I I don't care what anybody says, what the record is. I like that group or that guy. I'll probably point to a couple guys, two that really jump out at me. One was, uh, one was Nate McMillan. Um, I thought he had a really good way with his players and he was, he was a stickler for, you know, like doing things the right way. He would get on guys, but he had a way of doing it that where the players didn't feel disrespected, as we know a lot of times NBA guys do. Um, he was one of the, one of the best, I think, when it came to that. And then another guy, this is probably going to be a crazy answer, but I thought Flip Saunders. Um, that's like, why, why is that crazy? Oh, he was so creative with his, with his ATOs. Um, I thought the system he ran was so unique. He had this system where it was like 451, 532. It was like like he was a boxer, like a boxing trainer calling out punches. And the guys would just, I mean, they were so on point and they would just do these do these things on the fly. And the defense wouldn't have time to adjust because, you know, it's not like five hand signals in the backcourt. You know, like they're crossing half court. It's like, you know, 452. And they jump right into it and they start to run it. And I just thought he had such a unique way of coaching and connecting with his players. And I think it's just not crazy for us, but it's probably crazy for some of these guys that don't study the coaches and aren't nerd basketball like we are. Phil Jackson, what was he like? Very, uh, very unique uh, uh, human being in his approach just to life. Um, very, uh, really quiet, really, really only spoke when he had something to say. Uh, really insightful person, a really insightful person in terms of when it comes to coaching. Like I said, I don't know him off the court. We're not friends, but in the coaching atmosphere, it was really insightful in the way he looked at the game. You know, I'd have all these thoughts as the advanced scout, you know, I'm watching this San Antonio, and I'm like, you know, you got to pressure Tony Parker and you have to do all this stuff. He's like, you know, hey, what do you think? I mean, you got to do it. He'd say, yeah, well, when they run weak, I think we just need to extend the catch on this pass and we'll disrupt their timing. And by doing that, you know, we'll throw off the floor of their offense and maybe get Tim Duncan one step off his spots and maybe get his, get him off his rhythm. And that'll give us a better chance to defend them at a higher level. So he taught me to look at the game much differently than I looked at it, you know, just coming into coaching. Coming into no, no relation. That's interesting because you went to work for him in New York, right? But you guys did not have an off-the-court relationship. No, we didn't have an off-the-court relationship. My my relationship that got me to New York was really Derek Fisher. You know, D. Fish and I connected on different levels when he played for the Lakers. When he went to Oklahoma City, I was working with a young man, Austin Hatch. And I took Hatch to a, a Lakers-Oklahoma uh, City Thunder game. And we just sat down and talked after the game with Fish. And just in that 
moment just had a different connection than we had when it was like kind of coach player really got a chance to like he got a chance to see me uh, in a different light I think and we just started texting after that and we really kept in touch and I ended up going to Oklahoma City a couple times uh scouting for I think it was the Bobcats or somebody at the time uh with Steve Steve and Paul Silas took care of me on that and we just connected man in a different way that we didn't when he was playing for the Lakers and when he got the job in New York it was funny I was just in New York actually Definitely. I was getting ready to start working with Andrew Wiggins as his personal player development coach. Um, Adidas was going to hire me. So I'm at the draft. Um, I just reached out to Fish because I was so happy for him. Hey, man, like, hey, I'm in New York. Uh, I'm at the draft. Maybe we can connect, you know, if you're not too busy. Maybe we'll connect for dinner later. I'm going to be hanging out or maybe we do breakfast. And he's like, you know, text me back right away. Like. Yeah, man, we'll make that connection. But he didn't realize how involved the draft was. First year coach, being a player. You know, he just watched the draft and went home when he's a player. And so he texts me after the draft, like, hey, man, I'm not going to be able to connect. And I fly out tomorrow. You know, what are your plans? I was like, I don't even have a ticket booked back to L.A. So he's like, are you planning to leave tomorrow? I was like, yeah, I was. He's like, well, why don't you just jump on uh, James Dolan's private jet with me? and fly back with me and my family. I have to drop my daughter in Vegas, and then we'll go to L.A. We sat, literally, Doug, we talked the whole way back. I mean, not about basketball. We just talked about everything you could think about. And when we landed in L.A., he was like, yeah, well, welcome to my staff, man. I'm going to hire you. I don't know what position I'm going to give you, but I'm, you're going to be with me in New York. And that's really how it happened. It was very organic. And, um, you know, I always appreciate Fish for that. Just Fish is a, is a good human being. I know he went through what he went through in the situation he had, but my experience with him wasn't that. He's just always been a great person to me. He was great to me. I'll, I'll give you my, my it's, it, it's two and one. It's my, it's funny you talked about LA guys being the Lakers. Like I wasn't a, like a gigantic Laker fan just because everybody loved the Lakers, right? So I was like, you know, I liked the, you were a contrarian our whole lives. So Correct. I can see it. Correct. I was always a contrarian. So I was like, man, I like the Celtics. But it was still like, dude, it's still the Lakers. And so I got to, I was in, I played summer league with them uh, one year. And I was in the, that vet, they'd have a little vet mini camp before they go to camp in Hawaii. Right. And like the whole thing was like, man, am I going to get a ticket to Hawaii? And Pemberthy beat me out one year. And then Pemberthy and Joe Crispin another year. Right. But I remember. Uh, at that old facility, you walk in and, you know, like the first time you walk in, you're just in awe and you start walking down the hallway and there's like Chamberlain, Jerry West picture, you know, Kareem, Jamal Wilkes, Worthy, Magic. And then you start to get to like Shaq. And then you're just like, what the hell am I doing here? You know, you're, you're, it's like me back with you as a ball boy at UCLA. Like I'm just kidding the candy and by like day three, and they treat you so well when you're a player. Like by day three, the lady up front knows your name, right? Everybody's, you're going and you're getting massage. You're like, man, I could do this. Like I can make this team. This would be great. And Fish was, uh, I had played with Adrian Peterson uh, in college, and they're both from North Little Rock. And Fish's dad, Coach Pete in AAU. So he, like he was just working out one day and he like calls me over and I'm like feeding him. And he's like, you know, Pete's my guy. And we start talking and he was 
like he would call, he would sit around and watch like vet workout, vet mini, mini camp workouts, you know, 25 guys in the gym, one or two are going to get a camp invite. And like in between, in between drills or in between like live stuff, uh, he'd pull you over and be like, Hey, on the rebound screen cut, you go, go over here. That's where the, that's where the shot is. You know, like he was just a great, Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. It's bracket season, and you can pre-register now for Fox Sports Radio's Bracket Challenge at foxsportsradio.com. Get details, rules, and pre-register so you can easily create your winning bracket when it's live on March 17th. Once you fill out your bracket, you're entered for a chance to win the ultimate college sports trip for you and a friend, including travel and stays at any Graduate Hotels location. It's sponsored by Tractor Supply and Graduate Hotels, where college fans stay. When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, shoot that, shoot that! And even... Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Okay, so here's the, here's the question. I understood Phil's theory on Phil's theory was because at the time... Mid-range was still in vogue, right, when you guys get to New York. And, like, posting up Mellow in the post was nasty. And Mellow and ISOs were nasty. And the whole idea of the triangle is you have this perfect spacing so that when help comes, you know, you know where to deliver the ball. But we're also kind of in a transition era in the NBA where so many other guys, they didn't know how to play that way. They were used to playing off-ball screens, downhill. Okay, but that's just me layman watching. You lived it. Why didn't it work? I think it, it, it came down to some of what you just said. But I also think there was, is among our coaching staff, we had some guys from Oklahoma City, and we had some guys who brought in from the Lakers, Kurt Rambis, Jim Clemens. And then Fish was kind of the best of both worlds. And I think there was just philosophical differences in how to move the triangle forward uh, in today's game. You know what I mean? There were adjustments that needed to be made. And I don't think as a staff, as a whole staff, not one side, not the other, I don't think as an entire staff that we came up with the right formula to move it forward. And it really stagnated us in in our evolution. We had... Think about it. We had Melo, Marty Stoudemire, Andrea Bargnani, J.R. Smith, Iman Shumpert, Tim Hardaway second year. And we had picked up Jose Calderon. Um, who am I missing? I mean, we had the pieces to make it work. I just think as a staff, we didn't implement the triangle in the right way to take advantage of the pieces that we had. And that's on all of us. You know, it's just as coaching. You know, you, you you try some things that you think will work. They look great on paper. And then you get to camp. And we also battled a lot of injuries. You know, Bargnani had a bad calf injury that held him out. You know, Stoudemire was, had the knees and the back. He was at that stage in his career. 
And I just think, you know, it was a failure on, on every front, but, you know, from a coaching standpoint, you know, we just had, we needed to deploy our troops in a better way in the triangle and come up with a better system. And the way we came up with it just didn't work out. And that falls on everybody. How do you emotionally handle those things? Like Portland, you guys lost your job this one. How do you emotionally handle it when it doesn't work and you guys get fired? You said that when I was 13 years old, my dad was fired. And so I had already been through that and I had seen the way he handled it. And, you know, I was very devastated when he lost his job at UCLA. And as were my brothers and my mom. And, he, you know, he had to spend a lot of time with us to teach us that it's just a part of the business. You know, you're hired to be fired in this business. Um, it just is what it is. And so, when it ends up happening to me, it's funny. When I got fired from Portland and I come back to L.A., I go to the Laker facility and first person I see is Kurt and B. Shaw. And they come over there, man, what, you in the offseason? I was like, nah, man, they fired us. And they both go, hey, well, you're a, you're a coach now. You've been fired. Welcome <laughs> to business, you know, and that was like. And so I, I learned to from guys like that and my dad to have a sense of humor about it because it's a part of what happens in this business. You are. You are legitimately hired to be fired, and um, it's going to happen. Inevitably, it's going to happen because nobody keeps these jobs for 20 years, not at the pro level at least. And so it's just, it's, you just, you know, it's a part of the business, but I love it so much, and I love every part of the game that just because I get fired as an NBA coach doesn't, I'm, I'm still a coach because it's what's in me. It's not the job title, the coaching profession is really in me. So even when I'm not coaching with the Lakers, you know, I'm at Linwood High School this last year helping Jason Crow out, you know, just to be around the game. You know, before that, I'm at Loyola with Jamal Adams when my nephews went there, and I was still coaching with the Lakers. I'm leaving Laker practice, and I'm going to Loyola High School practice. That's how much of a junkie I am for coaching basketball and for being around it and the joy that it brings. And so – it just, you know, it's a part of the business. You take the good with the bad, and you, you still love it the same. How have, uh, how's it been for you with the passing of your brother? That's been the most uh, difficult path that I've had, had to walk because this job that I have now, if my brother was still alive, he would be here in some capacity. He would be an assistant. He would be something. I would sacrifice as a part of my salary to hire him so that he could have gone through this experience with me. Um, yeah, it's just, it's really difficult not having the guy that, you know, I kind of give the credit for, you know, he coached me in high school. He was part of the staff at Venice High after he finished at Morehouse. He just, just you know, he loved me so much, man, and and believed in me so much. When I when I got the job at Venice, I was like, hey, man, you know, I'm, I'm going to get into coaching. And before I got it, he was like, oh, where are we going? It, you know, that level of humility, this is my older brother, right? That's Crenshaw High School, two city, two state championships, city champion, all the things he's done. Went to led Morehouse to the Final Fours, their point guard, um, you know, in like 90, I want to say that was 93. You know, he has more accomplishments than all of us as a basketball player. Yet he saw enough in me and was humble enough that he was like, you know, I see something in you and you're going to be a great coach and I want to be there with you and go along for the ride. 
and to not have him here when I while I have this moment. Um, that's why I dedicated my first win to him at BAL and to him and my dad um, because they're, I, they're the reason that I do this. They're the reason that I kept pushing forward when I lost my job and when I wasn't playing at uh, GW. And it was my brother Jalal who flew to Washington, D.C. to spend the weekend with me just to help me get my mental focus back and to make sure that my mental health, which wasn't a thing at the time, but to make sure that, you know, I was good. And so um, not having him here really hurts. And it hurts every day. In those days, and I just, you know, I'd be in the gym and I had to excuse myself and I cry because I really miss him that much. And I really wish that uh, I could share these moments with him. But um, God had another plan. And so I have to... Uh, I have to continue to, I have to continue to push forward. I have to continue to carry him with me. And um, his spirit is alive in me. In my first game, I literally, we were down against this team called Slack, excellent team. And uh, at halftime, and I was trying to figure out something like, how do I slow them down, but keep our pace up and get us involved in the game defensively. And we had this defense we called 33 at Venice. And it's the old one-two-two rover press that my brother taught me that Crenshaw used to run. I could hear him, you know, man, go 33. So we jumped into 33, and we mounted a hell of a comeback, and we won that first game. And so I literally give him credit for that because I, I, I know people say this kind of crap all the time, but I, like, heard his voice, man, like, yo, get jumping 33. You know, it's going to work. You're going to get it. Because he used to say that to me all the time in Venice. And – um it was just a surreal moment that it worked and that I really heard his voice tell me to do that. And it just shows you how connected we are and how connected we will always be. How did the BAL job come to be? Um, Rico Hines, my brother Rico Hines, was uh, doing a camp in Rwanda. And he, I think, bumped into the owner, uh, Raphael Edwards. And, you know, Raphael was just – conversation about basketball. He's like, you know, man, I'm, I'm looking for a coach. And he met through all these big names out that he was talking to. You know, I think Mark Jackson was one and all these guys. He goes like, no, nah, man, you know what? You, you should you should hire my boy Rashid Hazard. He's like, you know, doesn't really know who I am. I'm not a big name like that. And he's like, no, nah, man, like I'm telling you, like he's the guy. Like he he he's the one you need to hire. He just needs that opportunity. So Raphael texted me one day, like probably a month after my brother had passed. And, you know, I replied to him like, yeah, you know, hey, yeah, I would be interested in, in interviewing for the Cape Town Tigers job. And then it was crickets for about a month. And Rico just had, we just, me and Rico talk all the time. And we just had to be talking. He was like, hey, whatever happened with the, the BAL job? I said, man, the guy never hit me back. You know, I'm, I'm sure he found somebody that was a very good candidate and, you know, I just never heard back from him. He said, no, nah, let me follow up with him. Followed up with him, and then I get a text from Raphael, like, hey, man, let's let's jump on a – I think we jumped on a, on a just a regular phone call. Let's jump on a call and let's talk. You know, hour and a half, almost two hours later of a conversation, he's like, man, you know, I really feel good about you. Let's take – let me go to my partners, and we're going to take this to the next level. So we had another interview. 
Um, he asked me some, I gave him my coach's book. And um, after the second conversation, it was contract talks, trying to figure out the parameters of a contract. And here I am. So um, when you leave for uh, Cape Town to coach the team, was the, was the roster already set? Yeah, I, 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 didn't, I didn't get to buy the groceries. Um, but they, you know, as you know, they expect you to cook that gourmet meal. And I, but I saw the roster and I knew that I could come up with a system, uh, that could fit the roster. Who, who are your foreigners? Our foreigners are Evans Guampamo, uh, Mike Benajay, who played a couple years in the NBA. Sure. Those are two African foreigners. Right. And then two American foreigners are Josh Hall. Uh, who went undrafted out of uh, high school, I believe, were a really good player, and Zaire Wade, D. Wade's son. And so I, I looked at it as a, as a great, you know, opportunity, man, just to show that I can put this whole thing together and, uh, and figure it out, uh, you know, from top to bottom. And, um, you know, my experience last year in RGV with the Houston Rockets organization taught me this kind of, it gave me a real inside view of how this analytics driven basketball is. And it was really interesting. It was really informative. And I knew I wanted to take elements of that and include it in my system, but also take elements of what I hold, you know, near and dear to my heart with the triangle and high post offense that we both learned, you know, in our early years. And I think we've had, we have a very good combination of the two. And so when you watch us play, you'll see us run some triangle. You'll see us run some DHO and get to the second side and we'll step ups and all these different things with a lot of pace. And I think just being able to mesh the two has been a really, uh, I've been, it's been a really exciting experience because I'm getting to bring all of the things I've learned throughout my life and kind of throw them on the, on the table. And these guys have been so receptive. It's just like, you know, we went to keep, we went to Cairo and won two games and, Against all odds, we got it done on Saturday. Had you been to South Africa before when you when you first got there? I've been to the never touched the continent at all. Okay, so you touched down. Um, how much? Would you? How much did you bring? How much stuff did you bring? Too much. Probably like I have like five bags. I have way too much stuff. All right, so you show up kind of bougie, right? You got like five bags. <laughs> got, all, got all get all your gear. Um, yeah. You went straight to the Hyatt house. Then is that where you stay when you first first? Oh, so this is a funny story. So they put me in an apartment, right? They showed me this apartment. I was like, yeah, it looks okay, but let me see when I get there. I got a standard of living I've gotten used to, and I'll let you know. So I get into this apartment. I'm on FaceTime with my mom, just, you know, it's nine hours ahead. So I'm like, hey, you know, she's like, how do you like it? I'm like, yeah, I'm not feeling this apartment. I'm going to need them to get me something else. And then all of a sudden, the lights go out. So I'm like, I got to call you back. So I hang up and then there's a knock on my door. So, you know, me being an LA kid, I, I thought I was being set up. So I go grab a butcher knife out of the knife block and I open the door and the manager from the apartment was coming to tell me about something called load shedding. Load shedding in Johannesburg means that in this area for about two to four hours a night, they cut the power off. And if you don't have a generator, the power doesn't come back on. So I'm sitting in this apartment and load shedding happens and 
They called the manager of the apartment to come tell me about load shedding. And I answered the door with a knife like Michael Myers. I'm about to chop this dude up. <laughs> Nobody told you before. It's because that's basically rolling blackouts. Right? I used to have them in California. Thankfully, you did not stab anybody. Thank God I didn't stab Would him. have been good information before the power went out. Very much so. Before yes. my, well, I would have probably picked a place with a generator, but you know, I'm sure they had a lot of stuff going on. It just slipped through the cracks. And so me being who I am, I I was I stayed at the Hyatts all the time when I was a scout, so I have the Hyatt app. There has to be a Hyatt in Santa City at the very minimum. So I go on. There's a Hyatt house literally, Doug. This place is two blocks from the apartment they put me in. So I called Uber, put my stuff, five of my bags in Uber, and I come over to Hyatt house, and I've been living in the Hyatt house ever since. Awesome. Okay. Uh, so your first practice is how many days into being there? So my first practice was two days after I – no, the – yeah, two days after I got here, first practice. And uh, who's on your staff? Uh, coach Flosh, he's the national team coach, and then uh, Coach Vince, who was one of the he's one of the like really well known former pros from Cape Town. And we're in Johannesburg, but he's one of the guys from Cape Town. And Coach Flosh is very well respected coach. He's the coach that got the got them through the qualifiers to get to BAF. And so these are the guys on my staff. I'm talking, I mean, great coaches. And we've connected it more than being coaches, as you know, we've connected as like as friends and brothers at this point. And so these guys have my back. I trust them. I trust them with my life. And um, so we have our first practice. First two practices, I wasn't, I wasn't running everything. I really took over in the third practice. And so when I took over for that third practice. Wait, wait, so the first two, are you observing and taking notes? Are you like, what, what are you doing when practice is going on? So I was observing the owner was running the practices. He was kind of coaching the team at the time. The owner, Rafael Edwards, was kind of hands-on, kind of coaching the team, was running practices. And so I thought that we needed to do a more structured practice that was more indicative of what you would get in like the G League or in the NBA, you know, more structured drills with times on them and those kind of things so we could be more productive. And so I took the practices over the third day and the players, were just, they were whipped, man. They were just like, they were like, okay, all right, it's going to be, we're going to have a lot of work to do and I can see we're going to be a running team. Because all I've known is running, you know, even the trying to get this misconception that it's, the stagnant standstill offense, but we were always in the top 10, sometimes top seven in scoring in the NBA during field speed. And so, um, yeah, man, I took over and it was, it was high octane. It was high energy. And, um, the guys did a great job with it. Obviously they struggled, uh, with some of the detail work because as you know, text was a devil. What do you say? The devil's in the details. Sure. And so carried that part of, what I learned in LA with me. And so, um, you know, it was a lot of detail work. So a lot of physical work, but also a lot of mental work. And it took them a little time to get acclimated. But when they, once they got it, I mean, the way they were flowing and playing basketball, once we got it, I knew that we could contend um, at BAL and win, a, win ourselves a couple games. Now, was the practice at your arena or at a different gym? 
Oh, no, I wouldn't quite call it an arena. It's at a place called Mandeville. So Mandeville is the home of the uh, wheelchair national team for South Africa. And so we share that space with the wheelchair basketball team, which is really cool because you get to see them go through their training. We get to interact with them every day. And they're one of the best teams in the, on the continent. Um, so we're training at Mandeville. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at it now, by the way, online. Okay. It's not the most, you know, it's not the, there's no heat, there's no air conditioning. Um, so it's not what you would call a state-of-the-art facility, but it it is really, a, a, it, it has a lot of uh, history in it. And I really enjoy working there. So it's a really cool place to work. The caretaker, Steve, is great guy, takes great care of us. And it's actually, you know, it's really cool for me. You know, I don't, I'm not, I was a high school coach first. So I'm not, you know, the gym. I just need yeah. two. It's got two hoops. We're good. Lines are there. Hey, let's go. You know, we get the balls are still around. Hoops are still 10 feet. They're not always straight. Sometimes we have to straighten them out, make sure they lined up with the nail. But to me, that's the joy of doing jobs like this overseas. Let's go to your first game as a head coach. Homer Road. It was uh, it was at BAL. And, you know, it was basically a road game. We were in Cairo. Um, playing against a team called Slack. They had this three-headed monsters of guards, man, that were – I'd watch them on tape. I'm like, all right, I know these dudes. This is going to be tough. And they have a hell of a coach. I forgot coach's name, obviously, at the moment, but hell of a coach. We connected at BAL in the hotel. And, um, man, it was just a surreal moment to walk So you guys, the- for, for all these games, you guys all go there? Like they, they, yeah, every- we all go to Cairo. It's almost like AAU. We're all in Cairo. Every team is staying at the high regency. Um, you know, they have the, the banquet room set up where everybody has their own table for their team. And everybody has the same buffet. It's actually a really cool environment because, to me, this Basketball Africa League is a brotherhood. As much as we compete and we want to, you know, beat the hell out of each other, you know, it's a brotherhood of African nations. And... um you know, honestly, for me, the teams that are the best teams are the ones that have the best nationals and who get the most out of their nationals. And that was a lesson that I really learned um, during this first run in Cairo. And so um, the setup is really cool from that standpoint. Because you get to, I get to interact with every coach every, every day. You know, I get to see them down in the workout room and the times I was down working out. And it was that that part of it was really cool to me because it reminded me of like the old Vegas days in AAU. Coolest uh, meal you've had? Coolest meal I've had? I would have to say it was when I was in Soweto with Coach Flosh, and I had this beef stew that you know you're like, oh, it's just beef stew. I don't know what they spiced this beef stew with, and I think I went back for like four plates of it. And it was just, I mean, it was just beef stew, but it was just, I don't know, it was just the love it was made with, the spices, but it was incredible. And so um, they also have this meal here, I think it's called Pop. And it's like, uh, it almost looks like mashed potatoes, but you get all these different flavors. They make it in all these different ways. It's like a South African uh, traditional food. And I've had that in some pretty incredible uh different iterations of that that have been really incredible as well. First thing you're going to go eat when you get home. First thing I'm going to eat when I get home, 
Oh man, hopefully I can go to my mom's house and she can make me some of her shrimp pasta. But if not, you know me, man. I'm an LA boy, but I'm going to In and Out Burger and get about three double doubles. You know how that goes. <laughs> I just had one last night. I had I had one last night. My my daughter's like, I'm going to In and Out. I was like, I had already eaten dinner. I was like, you know, I'll do a double double. Just yeah, just one. It won't hurt me. Right? Just, just just one. one. Just just one. Just one won't kill me. Um, okay, so now at this, you've done so many different things. What's the next thing? And I, I hope, honestly, you know, I'm going to probably interview for a few G League head coaching jobs um, in this next month or so. And hopefully I've been the finalist, I think, four times now, and I didn't get it because I, I didn't have head coaching experience. So I'm hoping that this time now that I've checked that box, that I'm going to get the opportunity to maybe coach in the G League or maybe even in college. I'd even be able to you know, an assistant coaching job, an associate head coaching job in college uh, so I can start down that path. Um, but I think more likely in my G-League opportunity, um, and I'm going to interview for a couple, like I said, in the coming weeks. It's bracket season, and you can pre-register now for Fox Sports Radio's Bracket Challenge at foxsportsradio.com. Get details, rules, and pre-register so you can easily create your winning bracket when it's live on March 17th. Once you fill out your bracket, you're entered for a chance to win the ultimate college sports trip for you and a friend, including travel and stays at any Graduate Hotels location. It's sponsored by Tractor Supply and Graduate Hotels, where college fans stay. Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Um, I, there's been a, a bit of a heated debate stateside over whether Steph Curry is the greatest point guard ever. I think Steph Curry is unbelievable. But we lived through Magic Johnson, the Magic Johnson era, right? I mean, 12 years, nine finals, five, five uh, championships. And, but more than anything, and again, again, it's hard. They're different styles. But, yes, Steph has changed the game. But you and I remember that Magic did as well, right? Because before Magic, the point guard was always the smallest guy on the court. Not the not the big point guard, right? And that that chain that ushered in that era. Um, but now, as a coach, and I understand the position has evolved. Magic or Steph, point guard, very different. Is is Steph in that even discussion? I think you have to put him in the discussion because of his accomplishments. Um, for me, you know, Magic revolutionized the game in ways that Steph is still benefiting from. You know, in terms of the creativity with the passing and all those things. But what I think Steph has done, and I, you know, I almost wish it was in reverse and that magic came now and Steph was back then, because, you know, I was more like a shooting point guard. Yeah. And when you know, that wasn't in vogue. And so I I, you know, I don't I won't say I I'm a Magic Johnson guy and it's not a knock on Steph. It's just that I think Steph plays the position in a different way. And I actually love that he's brought that to the game because it's okay to be a point guard and be able to shoot. When when we came up, 
it was almost like, oh, you know, he's a two. You know, put him off the ball because you can shoot. And I think some of that happened to me at GW as well. And they you shoot it so well that they don't value the way that you think the game and see the game and the way you handle the point guard position. And then, you know, a guy that so dynamic like Shante Rogers comes along, who was an unbelievable guard. Um, but he played the position so much differently than I did. He fit more in the times because he was a real good penetrator, got into the lane, could kind of create a shot whenever he wanted to, get in the lane whenever he wanted to. And I was more of a guy who I would I ingested the playbook and I would I knew how to dial up the right play for the right guy at the right time. And I think Steph has ushered that back then back in that generate ushered in a generation of point guards who are going to be valued for playing that way. And he can still get into the lane, shake and bake, and do all the things he does, but he has that lethal jumper that's the great equalizer. So I think we're looking at another revolution at the position. So you have to put Steph in the conversation. And for me, I just don't want to choose because I love both of them. And I love what they've done for the game and the joy that both of them bring to the game is infectious because Steph plays with a joy. That's actually a part that I think doesn't get discussed enough is that Magic had that same thing that Steph did. Steph does where you just, they play with a smile on their face, right? They play like they love it. They're still both killers at the same time, right? Because you see see Steph yanking his mouthpiece out, like, you know, talking crazy to the crowd. So they, they have this perfect balance in their personalities and so I think it's a it's a very accurate comparison. Only thing that's different is six nine and six three. You know, another thing people forget, you know, Steph is not a small point guard. He's if you walk up to him, you're like, oh shit, okay. You got some decent size on you. You know, yeah. look you look small on TV standing next to Kevin Durant when you're playing with him or Kevon Looney, but and, and Clay Thompson. But no, you got some good stature to you. And so I definitely think Steph belongs in the conversation because he's a revolutionary player. What would you want somebody to know about your dad as a coach? As a, as a man, I think we've represented him pretty well as a coach. What would, what would, what would you say now as a coach made him special? He doesn't get enough credit. His second year at UCLA is when the three point line was brought and you can go back and read for Jim Murray wrote called Walt and the Rainbow Warriors. My dad was one of the first coaches to weaponize the three-pointer in college basketball. You remember my dad brought Kevin Walker in. Sure, one stretch five. He was one of the first ones that had the 6'11 dude out at the top shooting the three. I don't think my dad gets enough credit uh, for the creative mind that he brought to the college game. He also was one of the people who helped to create who is Reggie Miller today? Because I always tell Reggie, when you get off the bus, you're open. So, you know, Reggie was shooting those Steph Curry bombs. People forget one step over half court at UCLA. That was my dad. My dad was Mark Jackson putting that battery in clay and, and steps back as rookies and second year players. My dad was that guy back in his day putting that battery in. And Reggie's back and, and Kevin Walker's back and Charles Rochelin, you know, Air Canada out of out of Toronto, you know, coming in there shooting the three at six eight. Right, Charles Rochelin. Man, it was crazy, right? I don't I don't think my dad, Montel Hatcher, 
Dave Emmer, that he let shoot the ball through. I don't think he gets enough credit for how creative he was as a as a coach and revolutionizing using the three pointer as a weapon. I don't think he gets enough credit for that at all. Well, look, I know you got you have a life, you got work to do. I want to do another one. We'll do we'll do more topics and more things you learn, but I, I cannot tell you how great it was to connect. And I wanna I wanna hear about how well you guys do in the playoffs. I truly appreciate your time. Thank you, Doug, man. It's always a pleasure, man. We've been brothers and friends since we were <laughs> 10 years old, man. And it's just surreal that we're having this moment where we're doing a podcast talking about the things we both accomplished uh, throughout our lives and, and sharing this moment. This uh this is and Khalil was just here. He flew through Johannesburg to go to Cape Town. Going to do this, and he was just cracking up like man. So maybe next time you get the both of us on. Let's do it. Let's let's do it. We do music too. So yeah, oh, this winner of six Grammys at this point. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Just uh, unbelievable. I know all, all this other stuff. Like, hey, he won six Grammys. What? Excuse me. Yeah. yeah. Really? Huh? Yeah. He in, he's in Cape Town working with the biggest artist in South Africa, a guy named Nasty C. So. They flew him out here to help this guy put his album together. That's how big time he's become. So we definitely, the three of us, have to do this next time. I'm in. I'm in. Thank you. All right, Tuz. Talk soon. Peace. What a great way to wrap up our combo with Rashid Hazard. Uh, we got to do more of that. And it. I hope it makes you pay attention to what BAL is doing, what Rashid is doing. And it's interesting, all the people who he came into contact with along his path. I'm Doug Gottlieb. This is All Ball. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. It's bracket season, and you can pre-register now for Fox Sports Radio's Bracket Challenge at foxsportsradio.com. Get details, rules, and pre-register so you can easily create your winning bracket when it's live on March 17th. Once you fill out your bracket, you're entered for a chance to win the ultimate college sports trip for you and a friend, including travel and stays at any Graduate Hotels location. It's sponsored by Tractor Supply and Graduate Hotels, where college fans stay.